Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Seth Gillahan. He's a clinical psychologist. He's also a best-selling author and a podcast host, and he's the creator of the Think Act B online school. I'm going to talk about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for kids and teens. So, Seth, thanks for coming. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Rich. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. Like, why why are you interested in CBT and working with teens and kids? And you know, how did you get where you are? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. I, you know, I, I started out in psychology because I I wanted to work directly with people and try to try to make a, a positive difference in people's lives. And I found early in my training that the cognitive behavioral approach really appealed to me in part because I, I came from a science background. I didn't have a psychology background at all in college. I studied biology and also mm-hmm. French. And so the the research uh, basis for CBT really appealed to me and the idea that it could be really effective in, in just a few sessions using some pretty straightforward tools, things that that were pretty intuitive, that made sense to me as a new trainee, and that I think really resonate with people just on a on a basic level. So things like, you know, by examining the stories that our minds are telling us, we can discover a lot of the falsehoods that we're living by. So you know, things like these assumptions that we make, like I'm going to fail or, or nobody's going to like me. So just by figuring out what we're thinking and, and practicing thinking more helpful thoughts, we can really feel feel better. We can uh, be more willing to take risks when we're not so sure that we're going to fail. So, so that's really what drew me to CBT. And then, you know, to to be honest, I don't. I, I work some with teens and have worked with kids, uh, but primarily my focus is in working with adults. And I had developed uh, a kind of on-the-go CBT resource called the CBT Deck that was intended for adults. 
okay. then there, there was such a need during the, I mean, in general, but but you know, even more so with the pandemic. And so I, I worked with my publisher on a plan to adapt the CBT deck for kids and teens. And the best part about it for me was I got to collaborate on it with my 10-year-old daughter, Ada. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really meaningful because I mean she was big help just in you know helping me to to get the language right and saying things like, Yeah, dad, we don't really use that word or that's yeah. not really how we would say that. And uh, and and helping me with the you know the illustrations and finding the things that really appealed on a visual level. But she had gone through a really intense bout of anxiety herself. And mm. coincidentally around that time, the, the original CBT deck had come out and and so I'd gotten, you know, my author uh, proofs, you know, to go through and, and check for spelling errors and things like that. And so she asked me if she could borrow it. And I didn't know for a while she was using a, one of the cards each day. And, and she said, she told me looking back that it was extremely helpful as she you know, came really? through. Yeah. Which of course brought tears to my eyes and, and really convinced me. I, I thought of it before, you know, it'd be neat to, to collaborate uh, with, you know, one of, one of my kids on on this deck, yeah. and she was excited to do it. But what it, what is this deck? It helps people. What what are, what are the cards in the deck? What's on them? Yeah, so so in this particular deck, there are fifty eight cards with. There's one practice or one skill per card, and they're divided into three categories. So the the three pillars of CBT are cognitive techniques, behavioral techniques. So that's just you know, planning actions that help move us toward our goals. And then mindfulness, so being in the present in an open and accepting way. And so I, I abbreviate those, think for cognitive, act for behavioral, and be for mindfulness. Think, act, be. So there are think cards, act cards, and be cards. Mm-hmm. So generally, I recommend you know, just shuffle the cards, draw one at random. And so there's, there's one that's about standing up for oneself and, and you know, noticing what our thoughts are 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 really uh, critical and uh, you know being being kinder to ourselves there are ones about oh, always like when you're saying bad stuff to yourself or about someone else about yourself yeah yeah like when um, you're saying like I'm a, I'm a fool why did i do that, that so yes exactly like oh i'm stupid i'm never going to get this right there are ones about you know, helping us to helping kids to practice a growth mindset so if we fail at something instead of saying i i, I can never do this saying like all right you know, i'm i'm still growing i'm still learning it's it's in our nature to to grow and develop over time. Uh, one's about uh, facing the fear of school, which is common, and you know, doing using the, the behavioral technique of taking things one step at a time, breaking down challenging tasks. So you're really trying to present uh, solid you know, research-backed practices, but in a way that's that's really kind of user-friendly for younger people. Okay, that's cool. So this is this deck part of your normal practice? Like, do you have a clinical practice where you see patients or like, how did you come up with this deck? And in, in what context do you use it? Yeah, it's a great question, because I don't, I don't use it directly in my practice. I don't actually use the deck. I mean, it's actually not a bad idea. But I think part of it just feels kind of too self-promoting to say in it, here. You just, just say it's not in the cards. No, I, I love those kinds of jokes. I'm a dad too, right? So oh, that's, good. I love yes, that. It's in our contract to make those kinds yep. of jokes. So my goal more and more as a therapist has been, and, and all my therapy you know, these days for the past, gosh, year and a half or so has been through video, is to help people bring these practices into their daily life. So, you know, not just for us to to talk about them and, and plan for them in our sessions, but really 
to uh, to have them when they need them when things come up and so what i loved about the cards is that they're they're so portable and and easy to like they're they're really bite-sized um, so it's it's well, obvious what we're well, what's an example on, on a couple of the cards like what are some cool ones that people really like let me actually pull one up so i can i can tell you word for word so there's i'll, I'll read you a card from the the cbt deck for anxiety rumination and worry so this was a mm. follow-up to the original one because so many people are dealing with anxiety and worry so here's an example this is from a, a think card so dealing with our thoughts the title mm-hmm. is see yourself coping this is one of my favorites. One of fear's greatest lies is that you won't be able to handle potential problems. When you're worried about something that could happen, start to see yourself coping skillfully with it. Recall the strength you've shown countless times as you've risen to the occasion to face challenges. Expect yeah. yourself to bring the same resourcefulness and determination to the problems of today. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. So what I love about that idea is that, so I mean, first of all, the you know, framing it as a single practice for the day, a person can take this card with them. I can come back to it as a reminder because I know for me it's easy to to say, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna practice that today." And then ten minutes later, I'm like, "What what was that thing I was gonna do?" So it's a good reminder. And this one in particular, I like because we can get into these arguments like, "Oh, like what if this thing happens?" Like, "Oh no, like, like better not happen." Like, this, there's a problem at work. So we're focusing on like, "What if this happens? What if this happens?" And there's a kind of background assumption that if it happens, I'm not going to be able to deal with it. Or if it happens, it's going to be terrible rather than it's going to be another of, you know, a, a, an ongoing series of problems that I've had to deal with. I mean, life is in, in a way just a, a, a continual unfolding of problem after problem that we deal with. Yeah. So I like to focus on, all right, what am I going to do if that happens? So we don't have to, to obsess about whether or not it's actually going to happen. Before we continue. I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So how did you, uh, I mean, how did you write these cards up? Are these just good ideas you had or are you drawing on a body of work that you just translated into card form? Yeah, some of them were existing uh, techniques, things that you know I probably picked up over the years, some were were things that I had come to just in, in working with patients individually, and and you know wanted to to capture um, in this kind of more formal way, and then a lot of them were just um, either things that I had, had found helpful myself because I'm honestly all of these are things that at times I find useful and, and rely on, um, and my process really was to you know decide about how many cards. I wanted, and then just to start start to sketch out ideas, like like literally on on pen and paper, because I tend to uh, do better creative thinking that way versus with a, a blank page and a cursor on a computer. Right, and and then from those you know, kind of that you know very rough sketch, uh, then starting to to flush them out and and organize them and see, okay, I need I need more here. I need some more about you know facing 
fears. I need some about breaking down big tasks to make them more manageable. Some about confronting a low mood and moving through that when we just want to withdraw, but in fact, we need to, to do something rewarding. And then I have a great publisher who, and, and a fantastic editor who helped me really to, to, uh, to polish them and, and get them ready to present to the public. So do you have just one deck or is a deck divided into three sections The think, act, B or do? Are there three different B, Yeah, to think, act, B. Uh, so, so I have th- uh, three decks and each deck is divided into think, act, B. So each deck has the full cognitive, behavioral, and mindfulness suite of practices. And then there's the original CBT deck, which is fairly broad. Uh, you know, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, depression, a lot of self-confidence types of cards. Then there's the one that uh, focuses on anxiety that I read from. And then the, the most recent one is the one for kids and teens. So what do you, okay, so how are you, you said you're not using these in your normal practice, but how are you using them? Where? Well, I mean, other people are using them. I sort of offer them uh, to the world. And, yeah. Right, but like how do, how do people come across them and in what context and, you know, what kind of feedback do you get? Well, um, thankfully, the feedback has been super positive, which has you know, led to the, the subsequent decks. But I, I think a lot of therapists are using them. I think, I mean, for, for you know, both for those who are maybe new to CBT or don't, maybe are not uh, experts in CBT themselves, but want to offer some of the practices. And then uh, I even hear from you know, experienced CBT therapists who just like them as a supplement to their in-session work. I think that's that's a lot of it. Um, and then I also hear from a lot of people who just, I honestly don't know exactly how people find them other than you know, searching for probably resources on Amazon or something. But but a lot of you know individuals are using them, you know, with with or without a therapist, just to you know use a car today and deal with whatever they're dealing with. So what uh, what kind of feedback do you get on them, um, and what kind what kind of people give you feedback, and what are some interesting things they said that you know I don't know exploded your head or you thought was really cool? Mm. Well, again, you know, I I, uh, I don't haven't kept many of those in my head, but the feedback I get from uh, from people that I've never met is often some of the the most meaningful. I mean, it's, it means a lot when, when someone I know, like, like my daughter obviously um, tells me it was helpful, but, but it's really moving to, you know, to put these things out into the world and you, know, you have no idea how they're going to be received. And then when, you know, someone you've never met, maybe in a different country or a different state uh, is saying, like, yeah. I find this so helpful. It's, yeah. You know, it'd be cool if you made an app that it randomly pops up one of these every day so you can practice them and go through stuff, you know? Or it could take you on yeah. certain, like you could choose a track, like, a, you know, I'm, I'm very anxious. So, and I ruminate, so I want to go on that specific track and it shows you cards that are relevant to that, you know, over time and stuff. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. I think that's great. Yeah. I, I actually just, just uh, signed an agreement with a, an audio book company. That's, that's going to do something maybe fairly close to that. You know, it won't match it to uh, what a person is looking for, but it, but because of the format, I think there will be that option of you know randomly selecting one, pulling it up. But I think it's I, I've definitely thought about it, and but but without really taking any steps toward it, but thought about appifying this because it does seem to lend it lend itself really well to that kind of presentation. This is a review from someone named Ms. Sanchez. This excellent self help CBT resource. I bought a lot of self-help cards, but these CBT are by far the best for my needs. I like this. I like that this set is based upon helping me learn to build positive emotions by redirecting my thoughts. 
It also has an extra element by giving me an exercise to practice, build skills each day. I just randomly pull one out and work on it that day or look for a specific card when I'm feeling emotionally triggered and need to redirect, reinterpret, or reframe my thoughts. So, so yeah, it's, it's touching, you know, that people are finding these things useful. So, so what are the, what are the, um, the elements of CBT that you found are helpful for people and what, what kind of uh, mental problems does CBT seem to work best for? And which ones is it not so good for? Well, it's it's been shown to be helpful for pretty much everything it's been applied to. And I think it's because the the, the approach is so broad. It's kind of like, um, I mean, this is this is a bit of an exaggeration, but sort of like water. Like water is is good for pretty much everything um, health-wise. Yeah. Because it's it's really getting at kind of the underlying architecture of our, our minds and our actions. So thinking... More helpful thoughts is useful for depression. Some of the earliest studies showed that on CBT showed that it was really effective for treating depression. There are uh, medications that can be as effective as CBT, but in the long run, uh, CBT does better once you're done with the treatment because you, you take it with you. It doesn't really stop once the treatment is over because you've incorporated or internalized these skills. Anxiety, for sure. There are tons of studies showing it's effective for anxiety. Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, insomnia is a big one. CBT for insomnia or CBTI is really the go-to uh, frontline treatment. Again, superior to, to sleep medications in many ways and certainly not habit-forming in the same way. And you know, smoking cessation, alcohol dependence, uh, relationships. So it's, it's kind of like mindfulness in that way. I mean, mindfulness uh, as a standalone approach is pretty much good for anything that you throw it at. Um, and you know, maybe sleep is a good comparison that that sleep, that pretty much every outcome that we care about gets better when our sleep improves. And in, in a right. similar way, uh, when we're, we're tending to our thoughts and we're living our lives in a way that's aligned with our goals and we're letting go of resistance to the things we can't control through mindful presence, then it's, I mean, things just tend to be better. But you don't use this in your practice when you're doing your talk therapy over Zoom and stuff like that. Like, what? Why not? Is it too much of an artificial prop or a crutch, or do you not mm. know how to integrate it, or what's your thought? Oh, um, well, just to be clear, I I, I absolutely use CBT. Uh, I just don't. Oh, I know that. Now the I mean the cards, you know, the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I feel like the I think of the cards as at least from my approach, they're they're super helpful for someone who doesn't necessarily have access to a therapist. Again, they work really well in conjunction with therapy Therapy as a supplement to it. Maybe I'm just uh, self-conscious about seeming like I'm trying to promote my own my own work. Well, but, you can give, give them like, you know, one card at a time as your homework. You know, like you do a session with someone, you talk about X, Y, Z, and you say like, you know, hey, I, I created these cards. Usually I sell them. Of course, I'm not going to sell them to you because you're my patient, and you're paying, but you know, a good homework thing for you to do maybe to like pick two cards and think about them during this week or something. And, you know, maybe that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think we end up doing that, uh, you know, without the cards, but uh, just offering them the, uh, the same types of practices. And I, I guess an advantage of therapy is that I can tailor exactly what we do. Uh, you know, whereas the cards, I mean, there are lots of, lots of them. There are 108 in one, 101 in another and 58 in the in the kids one so so there are many options but but i can really you know make sure that that's that what the person is looking for is is exactly what uh, i'm asking them to work on 
you know, and, and a lot of people actually to, to now that I'm, you know, as I think more about sort of where we are at this point, I mean, a lot of the people that I'm working with are uh, not necessarily addressing those types of, you know, working maybe on, on broader types of issues, like around, you know, family of origin or, you know, kind of, kind of longer term, just, just the way uh, practice goes. Sometimes you end up working with, with people for longer for longer term than you know, a lot of the more kind of short-term focused CBT work. And so they you know, may have the skills and but really what they're looking for is, is more about you know, processing things from their past or you know, dealing with, with broader issues that maybe don't sort of fit quite as neatly into you know, a kind of card-based approach. So how does, um, how does CBT help people in your experience? What is it about it that, that seems to work to help people to feel better? Well, I think the, the, the simplicity of it is really appealing to people and really helpful because it's, it's something you can do on your own. It doesn't, I mean, you can learn it with a therapist, but it doesn't depend on, on having another, another person there. Like, you know, other types of therapy, if you're depending on someone for, for their insights uh, into your, you know, internal dynamics, I mean, that, that really is a, a two person process. But for this, I mean, the, the goal my goal really is is for a person not to need me anymore for the for the CBT skills. So mm-hmm. so the simplicity, the the easy uptake of it, and again, you know these 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 very basic processes that it gets at, like like our thoughts. Like if if we pay attention, you know, we're our minds are always telling us things, and we often assume that they're true and we take them for granted. So I mean a a. An example we don't often think about, it, I think, is is something like, well, let's say uh, I'm worried that the day is going to, something bad is going to happen today. Like maybe I'm I'm worried that something at work, I'm going to, I'm going to give a report at work and it's going to go badly. So I can, I can work, I can have that thought, things are going to go badly today. And, and, you know, I might be anxious and, and nervous about that. And then I can, I can recognize like, all right, that's just, you know, a story my mind is telling me. But then we can go a level deeper than that. I think this is the level that we often don't get to, but I think the the mindfulness element of CBT really helps us to do that. So we can, rather than getting locked into this, am I going to have a good day? Am I going to have a bad day? We can ask ourselves, why does my ultimate well-being depend on what happens during this talk at work today? And maybe there's a level of contentment that transcends these ups and downs of our moment-to-moment lives. And I think that's that's the ultimate value of of CBT. It's I mean there there are these little we might think of them as kind of tricks and hacks for our nervous system, but really I think what what we're getting at is understanding the optimal way to live and and for our minds to function. And a lot of that is letting go of, of the struggle with whether things are going to be for me or against me, and opening instead to more of what life brings us. To don't see it as a, oh, life's against me type thing. Just see it as a, you know, like you're here living amongst all these other people and, you know, life's not directed against you necessarily. Right. Yeah. That, that life is life. I mean, that, that bad things are going to happen, but, but maybe the, the ultimate point of life is not to avoid uh, pain at all costs, but, but really to have, to have a, a fuller experience of what it means to be alive. I mean, you, I, I know for myself, I get stuck in these, in, in a real focus on, on wanting things to work out the way I want them to. And we can really end up kind of contorting ourselves in unhelpful ways and making our happiness so contingent 
on things that are outside of our control. Mm. I think our, our ultimate, it's a bit of a cliche, but our ultimate superpower, I think, is, is to take back the responsibility for our well-being. And as I, I, think, I think I say this in one of the cards, but not to, not to outsource our happiness, but to, re, to remember, to remind ourselves that, that our, our decision to be content is really an inside job. So what, uh, what's an example of like outsourcing your happiness? What do you mean? So someone cuts you off in traffic and then you're pissed off for the rest of the day. And, and there's an underlying assumption like that person ruined my day or they ruined my morning. Mm. But what they did is they did something inconvenient and, and possibly rude and self-serving that lasted for a moment. And then it's, I, I'm not at all saying I'm a master of this or that it's easy, but, but we can, we can, we have some choice in how much we hang on to that versus right. how much we say, you know, like, like someone tailgates us and I find that really irritating, but I can, I can make that a problem that has to be fixed and I have to do something about it. And I have to punish that person for being such a blankety blank or I right. can take you just let it go and move on. Just yeah. Let it go. Exactly. And, and that it feels there's a, for a lot of us, I think, there's this kind of built-in assumption that that's losing, that if they offend me and I don't do something about it, then they won and I lost, but there's nothing exactly, that feels right. right. But, but losing really, I think is, is allowing it to, to get us to bend ourselves out of shape more than we need to. And winning is moving on. Yeah, no, it's hard to let, I mean, yeah, like sometimes something will happen in a day and it'll make me mad and I try not to let it color the rest of the day, but sometimes it's very hard. You know, so those kinds of things, it's like, yeah, it's an internal struggle to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's super hard. But again, I think if we can, you know, practice even, you know, preemptively telling ourselves that I'm going to be in charge of my happiness for today, just for today, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not saying I'm not going to react to other people. I think that's normal, but I'm going to, as much as I can remind myself that I, I have a choice, I can hold on to things or I can let them go. And I can question that automatic assumption that I have to get back at people. What what have you noticed over the past year and a half? If it's not obvious, you know, like what is the you know all the COVID garbage done to people's brains? It seems like it's scrambled them and affected them in bad ways. I mean, you know, myself included. But like, what are you observing in your practice? What's it doing to people? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been really tough in a lot of ways, as as people know. I mean, with the the uncertainty around the disease and and so much loss of you know, jobs and and social contact and. And I think really, you know, revealing for us in ways we hadn't been so acutely aware, just all the little things we take for granted in you know, day, daily contact with people and you know, just the, the little incidental run, run-ins that we have, like at the, at the gym, saying hi to someone, those encounters that are giving us, you know, little boosts throughout the day. And then we're, we're maybe not consciously aware that we're missing those, but when, as we start to get them back, we're like, ah, oh, it feels so good to you know, have this, this unexpected, deeply human exchange with the checkout person at the grocery store. Like, that's so nice to be back. So I think that's, that's a lot of it. At the same time, you know, there's, when we broaden our perspective, we can see there's, uh, for, for a lot of us, a lot of good has come from this time. I think a lot of people have, find, have found a kind of clarity uh, in, what, in what's important and you know, being forced to to pause has I think required us, or, or at least allowed us to examine a lot of the assumptions that uh, our lives were based on about 
how busy we had to be or, or what we had to do or how much we had to spend. And uh, so that that's what I've heard from from pretty much everyone that I've talked to about this. This is not at all to deny the enormous suffering and you know desperation that a lot of people have experienced through this time, but at the same time, not to ignore uh, what's really a, a richer picture than that. And, uh, but I'm starting to say pretty much everyone has said, I think somewhat guiltily that, you know, but actually like there have been a lot of positives from this time. I think people are reluctant to say it because the, the pain uh, for so many people is so much more obvious, but I think so many of us are realizing there are, we're, we've been required to grow in ways that we wouldn't have been had this not happened. Oh, so you're seeing with your population that uh, people are actually okay. They're not uh, worse off. They're in some ways better. Well, I mean, it, it's a complicated picture. Some are, are certainly worse off in some ways. I mean, someone said to me they hadn't been hugged in months. And that's, you know, someone who lived alone. That's that's such a painful statement. But at the same time, you know, the, the same person might say, but you know, there have also been positives from this time. So I think it's our, our brains are really good at, at honing in on what's wrong because that's, that's how we stayed alive evolutionarily by noticing and fixing problems. But so I think it takes deliberate attention to ask ourselves, you know, what, what might be right about this time or what's, what's an unexpected good thing. Sometimes even our, our problems reveal good things. So I think this is one of the practices on the cards that, you know, most of the time, if there's something wrong, there's something right behind us. So an example would be, you know, I had to take my daughter to the emergency room uh, a couple of years ago, which is I mean, not a good thing. You don't usually go to the emergency room because there's something so good, you have to go right away, right? It couldn't right. wait because it was a problem. But as I'm, you know, carrying my daughter into the, the front door, I'm thinking, this is unbelievable that I, I live you know, five minute, a five minute drive from a hospital that's open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with you know, expertly trained medical staff. And they're going to take care of my daughter. That's an amazing thing. Or if I'm, you know, stuck in the house with annoying people, at least I'm not alone. Or conversely, if I'm, if I'm stuck at home and I'm lonely, at least I'm not, you know, sharing this small space with someone else who's going to drive me nuts. So really, no matter what our lives Old. I mean, there, there, there's probably something good if, if we look deeper. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, you know, yeah, that would make things more positive if you're able to do it. But yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but but I I hope it's clear. I'm not talking about this is just like power of positive thinking. Like just think happy thoughts. It's about being realistic. So if you know if we've gone through a trauma, it's not asking like what was the good thing about my trauma, and certainly not trying to force other people to to come to that kind of of an awareness prematurely. So like, what if, what were some of the good things that happened from your assault? It's like, get out of here. Like, I'm not there. But most of us, even with traumatic events, and I know in myself, having lived through multiple traumas, as you look back, you, you recognize that you are the person that you are because of the things that you've been through and why you wouldn't have chosen those things. You know, you, you see with, again, very clear eyes. I'm not talking about like, like, let's just think happy thoughts in a kind of Norman Vincent Peale type of way. But really, let's let's be honest about our lives and 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 take a broader view. Okay, it makes sense. Well, very good, Seth. What's the best way for people to uh, you know to interact with you if they want therapy from you or uh, to get your cards? You know, can you restate the name and where are they available? 
Sure. So the cards, that they're different versions of the CBT deck. So that's the title of the original one. And there's the CBT deck for anxiety, rumination, and worry. And then there's the, the CBT deck for kids and teens. And those are available pretty much wherever books are sold. They're certainly available online. If you, you can just do an internet search for those, you'll find them. And people can also go to my website, my first and last name, sethgillahan.com. And they can find links there to all my books, online courses, podcasts, et cetera. Okay, well, very good. And um, with the new, uh, I guess, loosening of laws on telemedicine, are you able to work with people in many states or where can you help people? You know, there there are uh, some people I can work with out of state, um, but I'm not able to accept new patients uh, for the foreseeable future. So, oh, okay. All right, well, very good. So thank you for coming on the call and uh, I want to check out these cards. They sound really interesting and helpful. So that's really cool that you did that. Really appreciate the, the chance to talk with you, Rich, and to, to think with you about my work. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.